When we were kids, many of us suspended the laws of truth, reality, common terms, and common sense long enough to be amused by science fiction novels and monster movies. The protagonists in these stories often made evil attractive, and chaos was their preferred aesthetic over order. But it was all fantasy, and we all knew it. And after being frightened out of our wits just for fun, we had the real world to return to. A whole world of objective truth, beautiful aesthetics, and common sense defined by common terms. Right and wrong, good and evil, and a sense of order were all understood by and accessible to any sane individual. But for today's kids, these temporary distortions of truth and reality are no longer reserved for occasional forays into the realm of horror or science fiction, because now these same distortions have bled into virtually every aspect of today's postmodern society. The lines between what it actually means to be male or female get blurred. The transgendered individual is now considered less of an anomaly than the masses who would be so bold as to question him or her and one can't even be sure which pronoun to choose these days. This is the world our kids have to navigate, and from which they have little reprieve. So today, we'll bring some history, some science without the fiction, some sanity, and a little reprieve back into the equation. This is Licensed to Parent. Well, hello and welcome to the program. Licensed to Parent is the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy, which is a year-long therapeutic Christ-centered wilderness-based residential program for teens in crisis. Our host on the program is Trace Embry, the founder and director of Shepherds Hill, and I'm Rich Rosel. And Trace, you attribute the breakdown of the very fundamentals of reality and, I guess, the redefinition of common terms to being the root of so many of the transgender issues we're seeing today— well, as well as many of the issues that kids, parents, and our society at large are dealing with today also. Explain what you mean by that. Yeah, thank you, postmodernism. Uh, Rich, if you and I can't agree on the definitions of terms, then good luck trying to agree about anything else beyond that. Uh, the same is true when we've both accepted different premises to any argument. Uh, I believe that because so many common terms have been redefined and, and truths misunderstood, that today's kids are living in a matrix of sorts. Uh, but unlike watching the movie The Matrix on TV, when our kids turn off the TV, they're going from what they know to be fantasy and science fiction back into a world that's supposed to be based on reality and objective truth. But instead, it's like waking up from a bad dream, only to discover that the real world is just as bizarre as the circumstances in your dream. Yep. I mean, kids don't know who or what to believe anymore, and this creates a tremendous amount of of stress and anxiety in their lives, which is probably why Dr. Richard Leahy made the statement that today's kids are struggling with the same degree of anxiety as the average psych patient in the 1950s. Right. You know, our, our postmodern society has, has whittled down definitions and reality itself to the point that, you know, as you mentioned in your intro, many kids are now confused about whether they're actually male or female. And when the self-evident lines of reality are being blurred this way, it actually creates an atmosphere ripe for insanity. The Bible talks about people being handed over to a reprobate or depraved mind when things become a sin fest like they are today. So is it any wonder that, you know, so many kids are on mood-altering meds today? Uh, overdosing on, on painkillers, cutting themselves just to feel better, or that suicide is now the second leading cause of death among teens in America? Is it any wonder that we're hearing about mass shootings virtually every other week? Is it any wonder that kids will resort to something as bizarre as claiming a different gender 
just to find some degree of peace in their search for, of all things, normalcy. Yeah. You know, I recently asked our Shepherd's Hill kids, how many of you have armed guards in your schools? And 80% of the hands went up. It's now the norm. You know, when I asked them if a school shooting ever happened near your school, about 20% of their hands went up. And when I asked them if a shooting ever happened in their school, I saw at least one hand go up. But it's not just our kids who are now living in this matrix of sorts. It's, uh, it's many of their parents, too. Uh, so I'm hoping today's guest uh, can at least help our parents understand that they aren't crazy, that it's really pop culture that's gone nuts, and particularly in this, uh, on this issue of transgender. Uh, and that just because someone has a bunch of letters behind their names, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily make that person right or even good or wise. There are a lot of educated fools in very high places wielding a whole lot of influence these days. And just because, or, or here, look, just look at the news and, and see what's actually uh, going on and who's running things out there. Look at history. Look how many nuts have run countries and murdered their own people. You know, Adolf Hitler, Chairman Mao, Stalin, I mean, on and on. But it's not just political leaders. It's scientists and medical and mental health professionals, too. You know, there's a story. Uh, there's a guy named Ignaz Semmelweis, who in the uh, 19th century was a medical doctor in Austria, I think it was. And he was ridiculed by the medical constituency because he said the reason we have, we have such a high mortality rate in our hospitals is because we're not washing our hands between seeing patients. And they laughed him into an insane asylum, literally at 43 years old. This guy dies in an insane asylum. Then Louis Pasteur comes along and proves the guy right, and the whole medical industry was wrong. Same thing with Paul Mueller, who invented uh, DDT. Uh, he won a Nobel Prize for inventing DDT until we found out that DDT kills people just like it kills insects, right? So maybe if we can just get our listeners to better understand the history, science, the politics, and the truth about gender dysphoria and some of the other issues involved with the whole transgender thing, maybe some of the other crazy issues that we just blindly accepted as parents today— uh, can start making sense too. Yeah. Well, we uh, recently had Dr. Michelle Critella on the program. She was discussing this topic, but then we found out that her colleague at the American College of Pediatricians, Dr. Quentin Van Meter, was A, right in our own backyard, and B, able to provide a good bit of context to this conversation on transgenderism. So we wanted to get him into the studio and have done so today. Uh, Dr. Van Meter is a pediatric endocrinologist in Atlanta, Georgia. He is affiliated with Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. He received his medical degree from Virginia Commonwealth University School of Medicine and uh, has been in private practice for the last several years, in fact, uh, since 1991, so that would be quite a few several, and that was after a 20-year career in the Navy Medical Corps. He uh, moved to the Atlanta area where he eventually uh, developed his own full-time endocrine practice, which today bears his name. He is a clinical associate professor of pediatrics at both the Emory University and Morehouse Schools of Medicine. And earlier this year, he stepped into the role of president of the American College of Pediatricians. So we are delighted to have Dr. Van Meter with us. Dr. Van Meter, welcome to Licensed to Parent. Delighted to be here. Thank you. Well, tell us what endocrinology actually is and why, along with your background uh, as a pediatrician, it qualifies you to be a reputable voice on the transgender issue. Well, endocrinology is the study of hormones and their action in the, in the body. So endocrine is, is essentially says within the system, um, <clears throat> the hormones act peripherally on organ systems. They are carried in the blood. And so we have hormones and we have the receptors. It's like a key in a lock. And mm -hmm. the human design 
which is clearly divine, uh, is a system set up for this, these messages to be taken. And uh, almost like a thermostat system where there's a, a job to be done. It's done if it's overdone. Uh, the message to, to do the job is cut back. If it's underdone, the body sends a message from the pituitary through the brain to tell the, organ, the hormones-creating uh, systems to increase their workload. Okay. So it's a very wonderful balance of nature. Uh, it's very logical. It's kind of why I chose that field of interest is that it didn't require a lot of memorization of algorithms and things that just didn't seem natural. It, it just flows uh, in, out of the basis of science. Mm-hmm. And so the hormones that, that govern how we are developed is, uh, from the fetal stage up through birth um, essentially cre- create our anatomical uh, outward appearance of our biologic sex. Okay. The, the biologic sex is, is not assigned by a physician at birth. It is, it is created at the moment <laughs> of conception. Yeah. So it's not something that we arbitrarily pick to do as, yeah. as, a, as a professional. Well, well there, are, there are a lot of parents out there that are hearing terms like uh, transsexual, transgender, gender identity disorder, and, and gender dysphoria. Can you kind of slice through uh, the nuances in those things, if they are nuanced? Uh, just What is the difference between gender di- identity disorder and gender dysphoria? Let's start there. Okay, so gender identity disorder was a term coined by Dr. Kenneth Zucker, a uh, a very uh, prestigious uh, academic and, and practitioner in Toronto, um, and he used that to describe the, uh, the the emotional condition and the suffering uh, around not being uh, identifying yourself as your biologic sex. That your your sense of who you were as a human being was at odds with who you were biologically. Mm-hmm. So sex is binary, and uh, I think what's happened just with the term and language over time. Um, there's a 50-50 chance when you apply to a job or for credit or an airline ticket information that it will say either sex or gender, mm-hmm. and they want you to pl- you know check one or the other, mm-hmm. or now indeterminate is, a, is, a, is now available other. in some form yeah. or other. But the idea is that it, really what it is is it's sex. This, mm-hmm. And you know, the, the word sex has connotations to say, oh, we don't want – it's a kinder word. It's you know, not quite so much connotation of – sexual activity, if you use the word gender, we mean that's sort of a, a purer term, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, there is a difference. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about that, So, too. you know, sex is biological. It's binary. It's male or it's female. There really are, are essentially so few variations of that in nature uh, that they are inconsequential. And those individuals, which are we call, they have disorders of sexual differentiation, um, they have no issue with figuring out who they are in terms of their biologic sex. They recognize themselves as male completely or female completely. So is there really a significant difference between sex and gender? Um, there, it's a term. It's, it's a term that was brought in, and we'll talk about this a bit later okay. in terms of the history. Gender okay. referred to, uh, it was a linguistic term. Up in, If you look uh, in medical texts and articles back from, say, 1950 or, below, or earlier, there was no mention of gender uh, in medicine. It was it was sex. Okay. Um, gender referred to uh, the the languages, and you know nouns were either masculine or feminine, mm-hmm. and they were given a gender, and that's in French and German and other languages. Um, but it did not pertain to the human person. It was John Money, a clinical psychologist uh, of notoriety, who decided he would ter- use the term gender as the internal sexual identity that the person perceives. And we're going to, on our next broadcast, because you've been gracious enough to give us a second broadcast on this, we're going to get into the history as to how all this thing got off the rails. Uh, 
so I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Uh, transsexual and transgender, is, is, is there a they're essentially the same. It's just okay. the term transsexual uh, was sort of railroaded out and replaced with transgender um, just by habit and just repeating uh, things over time. Mm-hmm. But it, it essentially the concept of gender is that it's, it's separate from biologic sex. It's, uh, it is a social construct. It is what one believes or perceives themselves to be, not what is biologically based. So it's right to say that uh, sex is, is more physiological, Gender is more psychological. Yes. Okay, that's a true statement. That would be true. Okay, but that's the fork in the road that we'll get into uh, next time. And and I'm curious about this while we're still talking about terms. Years back, you might hear about somebody being a transvestite. You might hear about somebody being a transvestite, somebody who dressed as the other gender. Um, I don't even know if that's on the table anymore, but, but do we also bring into the conversation the term about whether you are going through physical changes, you're having surgeries or doing hormone therapy or anything, is that is that even in the conversation anymore or not? Well, the interesting thing is that transvestitism is actually it is its own separate category. It's somebody who... Oh, great. we got to yeah. keep up with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it pertains to somebody who likes to dress in the, uh, the opposite sex, mostly males who dress as females. But but they may not identify they as a not, female, may not they do, do anything else other As a matter of fact, RuPaul, who is a very sort of notorious uh, transvestite from Georgia, um, is... It says, I, I'm, I'm not a she. Um, you know, you can call me he, you can call me anything you want to. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a male, but I am, I, I am a transvestite. So as a, as a, a transgendered person or a gay person, uh, the $6 million question that everyone asks, are they born that way? There is no biologic evidence that, and, and man, it has been searched for. The, the director of the uh, NIH Human Genome uh, Project uh, Francis Collins uh, has finally stated after all the research was done and all 20,000 genes were characterized in the human genome, there is absolutely no biologic basis for same-sex attraction or transgenderism. Um, so it, it has been searched for, uh, it has been hoped for, it, it would be an answer to uh, a lot of questions about whether or not one's born that way, but there is no biologic evidence of being born either transgender or same-sex attracted. Well, clearly, there's not a genetic difference. I mean, you can look through the code, and there's not a, there's not a gay gene. There's not a, you know, whatever. But um, my son and I were having a conversation about this, and he said, well, if I happen to prefer people with blonde hair over people with brunette hair or whatever, um, I've always been a person who likes blondes, let's say, um, and, and I was born that way. Okay, I don't, I don't know that any of us would argue that, but on the homosexual issue of I've, I've always been a guy who likes guys or I've always been a guy who likes girls, could that, um, I don't know if that's a personality issue or what, but, but how, how does that factor in? Because that is, is that not a trait that one might always have a preference for this or always be attracted to this from, there, from the start? There are a, a number of theories that have been sort of evaluated, thrown out, reevaluated, and uh, probably the most predominant theory that's sort of put forward in the guidelines by the American Psychological Association is that there is likely a personality type that is, that, and again, that could be determined in genetics, but it's not, they can't find a marker specifically. Hmm. Um, a personality type that is somewhat vulnerable to 
um, develop into same-sex attraction um, and that that is played upon by the environment. But these so, are proclivities, not necessarily no, a predestination. It is It is a building process. Mm-hmm, okay, so mm-hmm. uh, my, my thought is no one is born that way. People are built that way. They're yeah. built that way by their life life circumstances from the moment they, they hit, take their first breath and what their environment does to them and how mm-hmm. they react creates the, the, themselves an image of themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's where they go. Let me give you an example of, of that, I think. Uh, I've always been afraid of heights. As a little kid, I was just deathly afraid. My dad was an auto racer. I gave my stepmom a hassle about climbing to the top of the bleachers. And he took me to the track one day and made me go to the top. Because the, the, the consequences for not going to the top were going to be worse than going to the top, right? And uh, it's, it's interesting because for years uh, uh, in my young adult life, I, I was a roofer. I roofed houses. And, and there was times where I was petrified, but I realized that I had to get the job done. And I think you can take whatever your proclivity is or your weakness and you can that can be nurtured into something that is more productive or healthy for you is what I'm trying to say. I think most men, if they if they're honest, in their hearts are adulterers, and yet they commit to their spouses because of a higher law, a spiritual component in them that says, you know what, your your feelings, uh, your flesh isn't the sum total of who you are as a human being, and there's a there's a higher thing to answer to in, in that equation. Mm-hmm. So well, that's what makes us humans, it, as opposed to having animal instincts. Exactly. You know, so you're right. driven. You're driven by the by testosterone, which is a, a in the class of hormones called androgens, and that essentially creates libido or sexual drive, mm-hmm. and that that is you know a biologic drive that with a need to be satisfied. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but again, your your moral fiber and your moral compass uh, essentially direct you to contain that and and you know live a life that that essentially does no harm to other people. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's basically. The whole premise of, of, of our our moral fiber and core is to to guide us to be good people and good to all people. So. Is it possible that someone who might feel he's trapped in the wrong body, that if he disciplined himself to captivate his thoughts, not to dwell on those thoughts, there's a concept in science that says, okay, if you're genuinely grateful for something, then You've just shot enough serotonin in your own brain as if you took one Wellbutrin or one Prozac. So you can regulate your own mental health. Would that manifest itself in an MRI? Or- it, it would take a while. Neuro, it's called neuroplasticity. Um, there was a wonderful study done of cab drivers in London um, back in the day before GPS. Mm-hmm. They had programmed themselves by learning the grid of streets in London and memorizing it, knowing everywhere they had to be in order to be licensed as a cab driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, their brains were different, and that was not because they were born that way. Physically different from, Physically, from MRIs. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Right. Yeah. So the same thing would be said of same-sex attracted individuals looking at anatomic differences, mm-hmm. is that it, the environment has created an, an opportunity for the brain to adapt yeah. and change. No matter what those proclivities uh, are uh, out of the womb. Right. right. I know we got to go to a break, but we, we never did answer the question between the difference of uh, gender identity disorder and gender dysphoria. So maybe we'll just go ahead and get that and we'll come back. We'll do that. We're talking today with Dr. Quentin Van Meter. He's president of the American College of Pediatricians and also a pediatric endocrinologist based in Atlanta, Georgia. We've been talking about myth versus truth in the transgender conversation. Incidentally, next week, Dr. Van Meter is going to be joining us again 
to look further into the history and politics of the transgender movement. I certainly hope you'll join us then. This is Licensed to Parent. We've got to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. In the training of our children, what role should public school play? Documentarian Colin Gunn takes a panoramic exploration of this issue by hopping in a school bus for a field trip all over America in the DVD Indoctrination. Colin conducts a series of candid interviews and discovers how God's recipe for training the next generation is being replaced with a humanistic, man-centered program that fragments the family and undermines the influence of the church and the Great Commission. Christian teachers and principals share how they're attempting to walk the tightrope between teaching what they do not believe and being restricted from their God-given call to be salt and light. Indoctrination, Public Schools and the Decline of Christianity in America. Available in the Licensed to Parent store at LicensedToParent.org. Proceeds support the Shepherds Hill Academy Student Scholarship Fund. Teen Rebellion, Depression, Addiction, Rage, Cutting, and Suicide are destroying our families today. But there is a way out. Shepherds Hill Academy offers a 12-month Christ-centered nonprofit residential program where kids are being transformed with a biblical worldview and often medication-free. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias is just one of many Christian leaders who understands what's happening at Shepherds Hill Academy. It really is such an honor to come alongside Shepherds Hill Ministries and licensed parents to rescue those who have been seduced along the way. I cannot gainsay how important this is, and to get behind a ministry like this, one will find the rewards to be extremely powerful in changing society. Get the help you need at Shepherds Hill Academy. Go to helpmytroubledteen.org, helpmytroubledteen.org. Welcome back. This is Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy, and you'll find us online at licensedtoparent.org. Our guest today on the program is Dr. Quentin Van Meter, and Trace and I are talking with Dr. Van Meter about, uh, I guess, myth, myths Easy for <laughs> versus you to say. truths in the transgender conversation. And Trace, we were we set up with a question just ahead of time. Let's let's get back to that. Yeah, we want to re- revisit the gender identity disorder and the difference between that and gender dysphoria. That was the original question. Okay, so the gender identity disorder was a term that described the concept of someone feeling they were born into the wrong body. Um, and so that was thought to be uh, pejorative, uh, if you will, and, and perhaps uh, may, might suggest that it was indeed a mental state um, that was pathologic or a, an actual disorder. The pressure was to normalize this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in sort of a, a gesture to say, uh, if we normalize this, then there can't be treatment uh, because if it's normal, it doesn't require any treatment. And Dr. Zucker, who chaired the DSM-5 committee, uh, insisted that there be something in there that allowed people to get treatment for what he felt was necessary in in their suffering. So he uh, fought very strongly to change the term to dysphoria, which is a medical term meaning sort of uh, out of sync. So Zucker was behind that? Yeah, Zucker was behind that. Okay. Do you you think that's a good change? Um, 
Yes and no. I mean, because these children are suffering. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. And it's right. um, he's is reticent to say that it's a disorder because a disorder really is a very strong term in, in terms of mental health. Mm-hmm. I'm not a mental health provider and I don't in, in, you know, profess to be one or to understand the, the terminologies and what they what they really can do um, in, in terms of classification. But he wanted something that would allow patients to be able to be treated for things that were that were morbidities or suffering, mm-hmm. and this allowed that to happen. If you didn't, if you you made the concept that you uh, thought you were born in the wrong body, but what the problem was was the mental suffering that was related to that. He he created that term dysphoria. For okay, that. I'm gonna I'm gonna blindside you with Romans five three and four again. Is there is there any validity to suffering producing perseverance, perseverance producing character, and character producing hope? When do you allow someone to suffer through adolescence to get to a normal adulthood? I mean. Adolescence is suffering. It's suffering yeah, on, by itself. By if, you're, itself. If, you're not, if you're not dealing with transition, it's still suffering. It is, it is a transition designed to get us from sort of the euphoria of right. childhood and the simplicity of childhood into the complexity of the adult world. Adult and training. Yeah. And uh, you, if you if you bypass that, you are not going to develop. It's yeah. a stage. I right. mean, it's Piaget's theory of child development. You right. you need that. That's that is part of the creation of human beings mm-hmm. and their maturation and they're flowering into productive adults and well, so puberty is not a disease it's it's right. a process exactly um and it and it and, you know think of acne metamorphosis i mean think of acne yeah, suffering from acne should we therefore stop puberty because we don't want to have there a you go there the you answer go. is no right. wouldn't consider that yeah Exactly. Well, listen, we're winding down on the clock here, but I do want to ask you a couple of questions before we go. Uh, so your uh, eight-year-old uh, son claims to be trapped in the wrong body. What should be the first response or course of action for any wise parent? Seek out a, a therapist that will essentially not have an agenda to say, oh, I'm, I'm part of the transgender-affirming <laughs> yeah, right. new, new wave. Mm-hmm. Um, you need a therapist. This does not need, need to be a therapist who has training in transgender issues. It's a therapist. It's mm-hmm. someone who says, let's go trace back to the very beginning and look at adverse childhood events that would cause this child to use this, this feeling as an outlet or an answer uh, to their suffering. Mm-hmm. So you need to go down. I always call it going in the basement where the cobwebs are or mm-hmm. the, the dead skunk is behind the furnace. You know, you've got to throw the blinds open. You've got to get fresh air in there. You've got to put light on what is in that dark and scary place yeah. in order to figure out why this child needs this or uses this as a, as a as a tool to, to climb out of a bad place. Mm-hmm. We've been talking today with Dr. Quentin Van Meter. Again, he's president of the American College of Pediatricians and also a pediatric endocrinologist based in Atlanta, Georgia. And we've talk, been talking about uh, myths versus truth in the transgender conversation. Once again, a reminder that next time on Licensed to Parent, Dr. Van Meter will be joining us again to look further into the history and the politics of the transgender movement. I hope you'll join us then. And Dr. Van Meter, thanks for committing this time to us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Licensed to Parent is the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. You'll find us online at licensedtoparent.org. We produce this program to share some of the lessons learned in working with teens in crisis day after day. And as always, if you can help our work, if you can join us financially, and we certainly hope you will, 
please click the Donate button at the top of the page at LicensedToParent.org and become one of our ministry partners. Your gift can help less fortunate families who may need residential care be able to afford it. And a donation in any amount will certainly be a blessing, and the need is always great. Just click the Donate button when you visit LicensedToParent.org. Our guest coordinator on License to Parent is Daniel Fazina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosal, inviting you to join us again next time and renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. See you next time. <laughs>